the banks of the Great River, high above the Allure Gorge. This is the Buzzer Podcast. Indie music, new releases, industry insiders, out-of-the-box conversations with guests from the true north, from the west coast to the east coast, to across the pond, and from down under. And now, here is Shay. Hey, y'all. I am Shay. This is the Buzzer Podcast, independent music releases, global coverage. Welcome and enjoy. The Buzzer Podcast will wind down season one of both shows. The top shows of season one will start airing September 6th. The shows airing have the top fan engagement, subscribes, and download count. Today, we have plastic poetry on the show from Glasgow, Scotland. The original broadcast aired February 26th. Enjoy the show. Welcome, Victor and Adrian. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having us, Shay. Wonderful introduction. Oh, thank you. I, I love I love you guys' music. I really do. I was blown away. Uh, and you'll find out why. <laughs> um, so you two met in high school and started writing together when you were in Munich? Yes, exactly. Indeed, yeah. Well, tell me about that. How did you meet? Ooh, uh, do you want to, yeah. I think it was a, a school, someone was setting up a music um, club in school, and I remember seeing Adrian uh, carrying some amps or something. And amps I, or um, drums, I think, but yeah. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> I don't know if it was drums or amps. But anyhow, I, I saw him and... Uh, was surprised that he was into music himself. Um, and uh, I guess that was an opportunity. We both uh, jumped at the occasion to get involved and we pretty much started writing some songs uh, straight away. Yeah, I think the the first jam was at my place or something and yeah, we straight up picked up guitars and, and uh, yeah, almost wrote one of our first songs uh, there as well. Um, yeah, in a matter of days, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And why were you surprised, Victor, that Adrian wanted uh, to join the music club? That that's just a backstory right there. Yeah. No, I, well, I guess uh, it's because I, I guess we were friends before that point, but we'd never really talked about uh, music. And of course, I was into music myself, but probably quite uh, secretive about it. And. Uh, Kind of I think you were, I'm sorry. Sense, yeah. <laughs> I, th I think you were uh, way more into music than I was. Like you had a, a pretty big uh, musical background. And I think I, w I was still like learning guitar back then. Uh, so it's also the reason why I think I was a bit shy about it. And uh, it's just like, yeah, that, that one time we, we met with instruments at the music club. I think it was the one time where it clicked and it's like, oh yeah, well, he does music and I, I'm sort of trying to do music too. And plus we quickly realized that we had sort of, you know, compatible influences, uh, I suppose. And yeah, that's where things. Uh, uh, so it was a great, great meeting. And then Jamie Lynn Scal, who uh, plays the drums in the band and Andrew Scott George, who uh, is bass, uh, joined him. That was year 2017, I believe. Oof, yeah. That was a, there's a lot between those two moments, so bear with us for a second. Um, okay, so we uh, 
that uh, meeting that we just talked about was in high school in Munich. Uh, and we moved to uh, Glasgow to essentially form the band because at that point it was just us two writing songs. Um, so in 2017, uh, we indeed uh, enrolled our good friend Andrew Scott George on the bass and uh, drummer Tim Vogue actually back then, who got replaced in 2019 by Jamie Lynn And why did you move to Glasgow? Why Glasgow? Why Glasgow? <laughs> um, probably... Like, I know it's a beautiful, beautiful area, but I just from Munich to Glasgow, I just didn't work. What, what triggered that? I guess being in the UK was a uh, part of it because I, I personally, I grew up in the UK and I always wanted to go back there. And uh, Scotland, as a matter of fact, is free for uh, EU students. So, uh, you know, instead of paying 10 grand and going to uh, England, it seems quite obvious to go to Scotland. And then, obviously, there's only one place in Scotland. Well, shouldn't be saying that. <laughs> well, you're saying it, not me. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. So I would have taken that opportunity as well. Um, and you recorded your debut self-titled uh, EP at West Studios before ever playing a live show. That's rather a unique story. How did that come about? Well, I think uh, it was during like holidays or something, like summer. And actually, I think we kind of formed the band around that EP, if I remember. Like we had the songs, although two of them came about like a week ago uh, before going into recording and recording was already booked. And I remember like we, we wanted this EP to sort of um, start the whole process of forming the band and, and then go out and, and play shows, uh, I remember. And um, so it came about really, really quickly, I think, if I yeah. recall correctly. Also, I think very importantly, like, it was quite important back then because we'd met the Chris Marshall who records in the Seven West Studios. We were, it was actually before we, we had Tim and Andrew on board. We met him saying, oh, we want to record this uh, EP, but we didn't even have a drummer. And he was kind enough to, um, you know, really like make us visit the studio and take some time, uh, even like telling us what we should do in terms of uh, logistics almost before we could record. And um, kind of listened to what he said and came back in the studio three months afterwards and recorded the songs. And from then we just started playing shows and... Uh, writing more and more songs, etc. And what was it like uh, working with uh, producer Chris Marshall? I remember it being, yeah, a lot of fun. Um, even more than that, because at the time we'd, we'd been writing songs together, Adrian, for about three years. And it was very exciting to kind of see that finally um, give an end product. Uh, so it was, and we learned so much as well from that, uh, being in a professional studio for a week and, um, you know, day in, day out, just recording, uh, making decisions on, on production and, 
I'd say it was definitely helpful for the rest of the adventure, even though now we're self-producing, which is a big step up from uh, that. But uh, we're definitely grateful for the studio experience, nonetheless. And also, like, I think before that, we were kind of, I think, as you were saying, like, we, we wrote songs on our own or, or as a band, like uh, the two of us. But, uh, yeah, it was the first time, like, we really... Or at least I felt like having like actual professional advice and not necessarily how to write a song, but how to make it sound better or how to actually, yeah, and just even recording it. And yeah, even for us, like as we were recording demo demos as well afterwards, um, there was a definitely a before and after uh, that first session with uh, Chris, like the, the first recording. And yeah, that was that was very interesting. And yeah, was it different working with a producer than it was putting out the CP uh, that you did uh, produce yourself? Completely. Uh, well, this is this takes us to uh, 2020, so again, uh, a jump in time. But um, I guess uh, until I think we surrendered a lot of control back then, just from the simple fact that we'd never been in a professional studio before, let alone played in a band or any of that stuff. Uh, and I think like self-recording this was uh, coming to the realization that we could actually handle all of that ourselves and actually make all the production decisions ourselves, which ultimately is, uh, you know, so much better. <laughs> Because you've got full control, and it's like it's it's much more um, like the ability to be a master of your craft is uh, yeah thrilling. I can see that. So you're creating totally our creation. Yeah, uh, I think you'd agree, Adrian. Uh, no, yeah, definitely. Although um, I have to say, like. Um, Chris was also very, um, very good at understanding um, uh, our songs as well. Although he, he, he um, like, especially the Glasgow scene at that time uh, was very punk influenced. And so, like, he, he brought a lot of elements from that scene as well uh, to our songs. And some of them matched actually really well. And and on others, like yeah, as as Victor said, like it's like that, yeah, creative freedom that um, that uh, is is just. It's I won't say it's better because it's always good to confront different ideas, and that's how you make a song evolve, and that worked really well with Chris. But uh, it's also good to um, let let just let things flow for a song when you're creating it. And I think, yeah, it really helped us focus a bit more on, on that part afterwards and know what we want to achieve with our songs as well. Does the EP do well? The, the last one or the, the, the first one? Um, the first one, the debut album. Uh, <laughs> relatively speaking, I mean, uh, it, it got us, I mean, it got us... Um, up and running, first of all, and second of all, it really 
it allowed us to play all these shows because at the time we really didn't have much of a, I mean, we didn't have any fan base, let's be clear. Um, we had like, it was really us with uh, Andrew and Tim and nothing around us really. So um, we started giving, showing that EP to venues and that's how we got our first uh, shows. And eventually it, it allowed us to really create some kind of following, I guess. However, small but um no it's it's been very good to us this ep and to this day also it contains i think uh some of our best work i'd like to think. yeah <laughs> definitely for especially for yeah playing um shows and gigs and all that because i suppose like most of the bands when they start out they only have like demos not that they sound necessarily bad but most of the time you hear that it, they're demos obviously and for us, like we had this EP as our, well, as our port portfolio, sort of, so to say, and therefore it sounded professional because obviously yeah, it was recorded uh, in a professional studio, so it made it made us uh, look like professionals <laughs> in a way, and uh, or at least more than we were back then when we were starting out. So yeah, it definitely helped out on getting uh, good shows first. Uh, that's awesome. So it, it, it was a very positive um, highlight in your guys' musical history. Um, Adrian mentioned that, Victor, you have a big musical background. Um, tell me about that one. Well, big. Uh, being too kind, Adrian. No, I guess uh, I have I have been uh, uh, playing music since a relatively young age because uh, I, uh, I actually, I always sang. So um, I used to sing at the uh, Sh Sheffield Cathedral Choir when I was uh, a young boy and that kind of got me into, uh, you know, ultimately playing piano and, and guitar. And um, But I think like the, the common thread throughout has just been, uh, I've always loved to sing and the rest kind of came naturally, really. But I wouldn't say a big musical background as in, uh, not that I've been to music school for 15 years and I know all the scales or whatever. Uh, it's, it's more that I've always been relatively passionate and I've always uh, been a good singer, I guess. I mean, more so when I was little, actually, before I uh, lost my voice, which is... Uh, a big tragedy in my life. <laughs> but, Did you say you lost your voice? Or if you lost your voice? Uh, I mean, teenage, you know, adolescence, um, you kind of grow. and uh, Because I used to sing very high. I don't know if you've heard this uh, about this French movie, because it's quite well known abroad. It's uh, called The Chorus, Les Choristes. Um, and it's... Uh, it's young boys. It's like the film is about um, young boys, troublesome boys who uh, um, sing very well uh, in a boarding school. And um, I think I took a couple cues from that when I was smaller and I actually sang the, the lead song from that film uh, when I was eight, I think, live at music school. Wow. And that was a very, uh, that was a kind of a, I don't know, yeah, it was a big moment back then. Uh, like some local newspaper had written about it. 
So for me, like being a nine year old, it felt quite important. And then it's been downhill from then. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean by downhill? Or is that just a joke? I didn't catch it. Okay. No, it's just a joke. I mean, I mean, we're here tonight, so it's it's definitely not been downhill. Yeah, no, definitely because you, uh, your vocals are are outstanding. Um, one thing I noticed is the unusual and unique uh, lyrics uh, in your songs. I, uh, what would you say? I can't take any credits. For that by the way i just like to mention <laughs> um well <it's... laughs> i'd say thank you first of all for um noticing and well i really i do put a lot of attention to the lyrics and i i, I do like to um i wanted to tell a story each time i guess that's the, the main objective um but I, I don't think like saying anything other than that would be uh, quite ostentatious and unnecessary. Like the the real objective is is really to just tell a story and, and get people interested, really. Yeah, but all your stories are different. I've because I've listened to quite a lot of your music and they're all different. Mm -hmm. uh, do you write all the lyrics, Victor? Uh, yes. It's something that I do. I can I can definitely say that he takes a lot of time to, uh, or he takes it very seriously, almost to the point where sometimes he can almost dislike a song uh, when he's not happy uh, or proud of the lyrics. Uh, it happened, especially on uh, I remember like on Berlin when we were actually still in the recording studio. It was like I think you were still trying to get the the line for the chorus. You weren't really satisfied with it, and it took quite. Yeah, <laughs> it took quite some time to, for you, I think, to get over it. But um, yeah, yeah. Th thankfully, you shut me up and you said no, we're recording it, and now it's our most popular song. Yeah, so, <laughs> so it was worth it for you. <laughs> well, sometimes that happens, but no, I I notice it because my background. I've I've been a writer since I was sixteen. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and published since I was 16. So oh, nice I really one. do notice the work that you put into the lyrics. That there is, that's outstanding. Um, has the, your direction and where you are today, was it deliberate? This is where you want to be or did it just evolve? Um, this is just a big mistake. <laughs> I wouldn't say it was deliberate, like nothing like since we, I don't know if you agree, Adrian, but since we started on the Glasgow music scene, it's been full of positive surprises and uh, some letdowns as well. Uh, but all it, it's, yeah. Bit of both, definitely, but that's what makes the experience so beautiful as well. Like you have some disappointments or things just, you know, don't happen the way you imagined imagine them to to happen like for example the first ep like when we had that talk with uh, chris Mar marshall before even forming the band like i think like we were pretty depressed right afterwards like it's like oh shit like we need to uh gather people and make this like huge thing where we just actually we just wanted to record songs and um but yeah i think it was definitely a very po po positive experience overall and um uh, and 
yeah, I mean, yeah. I, n I never would have thought that we'd been still here, like, <laughs> after, like... After three years. But that and COVID as well, like, just because you ask, like, is this deliberate? I mean, I don't think anyone had planned for COVID, for example. And, uh, yeah, yeah, nothing's deliberate anymore anyway. You've just got to, yeah, you've got to adapt. Yeah, I wasn't really afraid. Actually, it, uh, COVID is a big thing, um, of course. Uh, it's hit the music industry really hard. Uh, I was referring more directly to where you, what happened with the first conversations when you guys were in high school. And if uh, you're doing the kind of music and progressing on the same path that you talked about when you started the band, like, like, Let's put COVID aside, even though it's master massive. Let's just uh, like, uh, are are you progressing at the at where where you want to be? Like making the kind of music that you wanted, uh, and uh, part of a local scene. Like every band has different goals. Uh, I'd say, well, at least for me, <laughs> uh, my main goal for the for this band was always to. Like just achieve, you know, or getting to, well, just making our own sound and really make it sound our own, which is the first impression I had when we were starting jamming and and making out those uh, first songs. Is like I felt like oh, it it sounds like us, or and well, not to say that it sounds like uh, like nothing there is, but at least like I could feel. Uh, that it was a sort of, I don't know, um, it was kind of like I wanted it to be, but it was, it sounded like us, just, yeah. And for that, I'm very proud because I, I, I still think like we managed to stick to our, our sort of roots and still, uh, managed to put up music that's just sound, that sounds like us, um. And yeah. Well, you you definitely have a signature sound, like it's, uh, like if it, if I was walking in and I heard it in the background, I would know that's plastic poetry. Oh, thanks. That yes, means a definitely. lot. Your new EP, Post Traumatic Collection Volume One, wasn't intended to be an album. Uh, I saw that you were releasing singles on YouTube uh, about twice a month, uh, starting in February. What made you decide to bring them into an album? Yeah, I think uh, like to tell the whole story, we, we started to uh, put out these singles on YouTube just because we were getting frustrated with the the pattern of going to the studio every you know every other year or something, and, and especially not getting the exact sound that we wanted. And uh, I think this was a way of saying, well. We've not got anything to lose anymore, so we're just gonna put these mad songs out on YouTube for a for a while, and see how it goes. Plus, it, let's face it, it was it was also very expensive as well. Like going to the studio and and even playing shows back then in Glasgow was uh, quite expensive as well. But yeah, it was definitely a part of it as well. Yeah, and I, I think in the end, especially because when we did it. Adrian, we, the coronavirus kind of came along 
around that time and it was and we were writing these songs every two weeks there was nothing that was written prior to that so it, it was a very natural um i'd say creative process yeah which at the end it seemed just logical to put it out as a an album and we kind of intend replicating that in the future maybe i think we also started as a as a bit of a challenge as well like i don't know if you remember like we because we we were having like um a video a youtube video actually every two weeks um and therefore like there was this you know yeah sort of challenge of can we make a song and a video as well uh every other week so i think it was also like yeah yeah just a challenge and for fun as well and see if we we're able to yeah self-produce songs as well it kept you focused on your yeah, your music definitely so it was positive um the gigs that you had at king tuts yeah can you know, do you have any stories from that lots of stories <laughs> over the years pick one <laughs> did did you gig there a lot many times that was our yeah i guess in glasgow king tuts is uh it's a bit of a a rite of passage or something it's uh it's very important to play there for for any band actually in the uk really um and to kind of to play on a stage that was shared with our with many idols of ours um it was quite special um so we've had a really wonderful time and actually um i think also for for us it was a uh, it was a great place for us to have a, a party kind of because for us we've never really seen shows as you know like traditionally maybe you'd see a show as like an artist appearing on stage and there's maybe a crowd in the room and maybe but for us it was always like uh, a chance to get our friends involved and we always had like these mad after parties after the shows and for us it was always uh fun first and foremost and yeah any stories though like what kind of i don't know what kind of crazy stuff happened in king touch <laughs> oh there was oh yeah there were like yeah. well the classic uh, uh string the yeah. breaks uh, after or during a song that happens to everyone, I suppose. <laughs> um, uh, what else? I guess like the, the last show that we did there was quite uh, explosive because the, the one that we did in, in February of this year was just before the, the COVID crisis and uh, we headlined it for the first time after seven appearances at long last. Um yeah, so that was actually our, you know, a big celebration because it was finally awesome. That's awesome. Headlining it, and all of our friends were there, and it was a massive, well, massive. You know, it was a big. Uh, it, it was on the now. It seems like a, a yeah, a goodbye because obviously we didn't know back then, but that was the last show that we played. Plus, it was always exciting. Exciting when. Um when we played new songs as well, live, uh, some that, well, uh, 
Maybe it came out on, on Spotify or, or YouTube. That was also also very exciting, um, like to uh, see people's reaction to it. Like our, our friends actually react to it. It's always, um, but some of them always, well, I don't know if they sounded, well, yeah, sounded better live, but there's definitely a different, different energy when you play them live as uh, listening to them. And some of them, like, yeah, for, for example, Berlin yeah. always felt really great live. And um, yeah, that was always exciting. So did you, pre did you premiere a lot of your songs at King Tut's? Did we, what, sorry, did we play a lot of our songs? Did you debut, like, a first-time performance live? <laughs> I'd say all of them, almost, because that's the only place. It's not the only place we've played. Like, we've played a few toilets here and there. Um, but, um, yeah, I'd, I'd say King Tuts was always... We'd always try to make it special when we played at King Tuts, just because it's a big name. So people, when they go to King Tut's, they're always excited for a big night and they're expecting uh, some standard, I suppose. And also, there's always people in the room that don't know you in King Tut's. Okay. Yeah. And I remember, like, and I think, like, it was always, like, when we were rehearsing for, like, for, for a gig, uh, especially King Tut's, like, I think it was, there was always, like, this question about, like, how can we improve on the on the last show? And I think yeah, the set list was always like a, a, an important part of it, like um, how to make it more yes. exciting than the previous one, I suppose. Um, so that's one of the reasons why we introduced new songs there. Uh, as Victor, well. you said that this uh, the stage was shared by some of your idols, the band's idols. Um, what idols? What names? Is this where we disagree, Adrian? <laughs> um, <laughs> probably, probably, but gone. <laughs> well, uh, we're actually the listeners who don't know about this, but Oasis was discovered in King Tut's. That's what makes it um, what it is today, is because back in 92, I think, or 93, Oasis played King Tut's, and that's where they got signed, and then the rest is history. So I, I'd say it's a long lineage from Oasis to, you know, anyone in the, the rock scene in the last 30 years, like The Killers, uh, Franz Ferdinand, Arctic Monkeys, Interpol. <laughs> well, what are, are your influences as Belle and Sebastian? Hmm. Um, did, did they play there? Did they play there? Good. Oh, I'd be surprised if they didn't, yeah. Uh, because Belle and Sebastian are from Glasgow as well. Uh, Franz Ferdinand so, played there yeah. as well, I think. And they're yeah, from Glasgow as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, your influences are diverse from British guitar bands like Belle and Sebastian, which I mentioned, and also French folk music of, uh, say, Gainsbourg. Uh, and it comes out in your music. Uh, is there any other influence I've missed? Or do you want to talk about uh, these influences and how they affect your writing style or how you put or create? Uh, I think, well, actually, what you've mentioned is probably uh, summarizes it 
quite well. And it's also almost something that's difficult to talk about because influences kind of just happen. Sometimes I struggle to acknowledge uh, some influence because especially in this day and age, you, you listen to so much thing, so many things, so much stuff on the internet. And <clears throat> sometimes uh, you'll have an idea that perhaps comes from somewhere, but you're not really sure where. One thing I might add, though, to that is um, church music, like religious music, uh, in a way. Personally, at least from a personal point of view, uh, maybe we'll see later on in Requiescat why that is, but just from like... Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I see that. Yeah. I'd add to that that influences are probably, well, to me, they were um, mostly important to get me into playing music. But as far as uh, making music, I'd say, like, as Victor mentioned, like, nowadays you listen to so many uh, different uh, artists and, and songs that an idea can literally pop out of um, when you, I don't know, listening to anything really so um to me they were mainly important to the reason i wanted to play music and play guitar actually well your music evokes imagery and poetic thought um definitely and uh one uh release that comes to mind is one of the songs we're going to spin today uh all these uh songs on the ep were self-recorded written and produced during uh the early pandemic lockdown um and i have to confess something to you <laughs> i'm a literary geek <laughs> I, I i majored in english so uh that's i i find the lyrics outstanding and the reference to wild uh, in the song, uh, which we're going to listen to coming up, Rakviskat, uh, which uh, was inspired by the wild poem uh, written in the 1880s. And it's mm. one of his finest works. Uh, it was about his uh, sister passing away and uh, um, celebrating in a poem as an elegy for her. Uh, she was just nine years old when she died. It's a deeply poetic response to her death, and that's how I feel about your song that you wrote, Victor. Uh, it's outstanding. So, uh, yeah, so we're going to listen to Thank the you. track now, and we'll come back after the song. Chamber makes you nervous as you wait 
Was this song a tribute to somebody you lost? Um, it wasn't, actually. Um, I think, actually, I, I was expecting to have to explain the whole thing about Oscar Wilde's sister, so thanks for clearing that. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got a geek on your hands here. <laughs> yeah. I, I wow. read Paradise Lost when I was seven years old. Okay, and I did it in wow. a weekend. I did it in a weekend. So yeah, yeah I was reading Jane Eyre, and I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So 
Yeah. Uh, so what inspired you to, to write a tribute really to this poem and to his uh, work? The honest answer is that I fell in love with the poem, really. Um, so the funny thing is I can't remember when I came across it. I know it was a, a few years ago, and it really uh, struck me. Um, the kind of the imagery that he uses. I mean, uh, lily white, white, uh, lily like white as snow, etc. Um, and I thought it was such a heartfelt tribute to uh, someone that passed away. And in the song Requiescat, I kind of take another point of view where I'm I'm talking to someone who's not dead yet but who uh, mm. is perhaps getting uh, maybe um, disillusioned with life. Um, and, yeah, I suppose it's, uh, it's almost like I was, I was trying to transpose the, the Requiescat poem before uh, the person actually died, even though Oscar Wilde's sister died from illness, if I'm not uh, mistaken. But... Uh, it really just triggered uh, the whole um, the whole ambition to write a requiem, really. And then, because it came from Requiescat, it seemed logical to uh, name it after Oscar Wilde's poem. And of course, the poem itself features in the outro of the song. So, well, the the video is incredible. The imagery, the cars and people walking over. It, it, it's seamlessly like a grave, but I know wild, so I knew the poem, but I did, were you putting these references into it? Um, and then even at the end, the industrial wheels turning at the end as life goes on. Um, yeah, I found the video incredible. Well, we've got to thank uh, Louise for that. Yeah, Pierre and Louise, sorry, our video yeah. makers. They've done both your videos for... Uh, <laughs> have they done all your videos? I know they've done both of the ones we're listening to today. Yeah, I think that's correct. All of them, including the two songs. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. And Louise related to you, Victor? She is, uh, well... She is my twin sister, which, oh, wow. going back to Oscar Wilde's poem, I believe she was his twin, maybe. I'm not sure if that's correct. Um, um, no, she was nine years old, and, and uh, Oscar Wilde was uh, 12 years old at the time of her death. Okay, my bad. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't tell you this via history lesson. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't. Uh, I didn't come prepared. You know, he was very close. He, he was very close to her, mm. um, and uh, yeah. But the the videos are incredible. Um, the one on solitude, uh, putting it uh, the music with a video set in an amusement park. Uh, you always had the feeling of watching other people have fun. It's melancholy. I like the choice of black and white, mm. um, which I noticed is moved uh, in uh, with some creatives. Actually, my own uh, I'm a creative myself. My own creations are leading towards the neutrals and the black and white. I think it's probably 
comes out of the melancholiness of the COVID. I don't know. Or return to vintage. Mm. Uh, anyways, uh, they're both great. I love them. Thank you. I think just just uh, on what you said about watching other people have fun, I want to pay a tribute to my sister uh, because the song itself was actually a bit of a... Uh, some, uh, some kind of intake on the whole social media um, phenomenon that's happening now and how everyone is showing their lives on social media. Um, and I think the fairground is such a great parallel to that, um, being in the middle of it all and unable to enjoy it. Uh, so, yeah, I, I saw that. And also noticed you did make a comment, the band made a comment on YouTube that was uh, regarding Instagram. Mm, indeed. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a comment. Those that operate the Instagram merry-go-round. That's the one. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, but I, I read it after I'd watched the video, but I thought it was pretty cool. <laughs> the next uh, song that we're going to hear is Solitude Means No Harm. And uh, this is a great, even though it's melancholy, guys, I actually feel this is a great song to dance to. Uh, the lyrics are haunting, yet it speaks, it speaks to me of wanting to hold somebody in my arms and just be. Like, it, it's a, a beautiful track.
Can you tell me a bit more about the the song? The song all started with the the guitar riff that plays throughout, and it got written at the very end of the first lockdown, so around May, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and. I think the story, the whole story of the song is trying to uh, make sense of the completely disconnected lifestyles that we've been having for a few years, but um, increasingly so in coronavirus times, where it seems that everyone has their little lives on internet. And yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's like, I don't like to sound overly critical of the internet because it's something that obviously gives so much opportunity, even us speaking through this platform right now. But I think it, the song itself highlights the loneliness that uh, one can feel because of the social media um, and the, the kind of fact that the fact that people, although in um, on the surface level, it can seem that the people are are getting more connected thanks to uh, these tools. In essence, I think it's really very isolating because nothing is left to real life anymore. No, um, no conversation is actually uh, left to, you know, you can't really meet in a bar anymore. That's <laughs> you're almost an outlaw if you meet someone outside now. So I think it's it's kind of I'm trying to describe the distressing experience of, of feeling completely like you're watching life through a glass window. No, it definitely makes sense. Um, do, uh, so you, do you feel that the uh, internet has uh, negatively affected people's relationships? Oh, completely, I'd say. Yeah, um, I'd say as well, like... Especially in terms of relationships. Yeah. I think one clear example of that was, for example, maybe 30 years ago, if you'd wanted to meet some friends, maybe you didn't know uh, if your friends were out and about. So you'd maybe go to the bar downstairs and see if there's some people and maybe there'd be some mates, but maybe no one was there. And then you'd speak to other people that happened to be in the bar. Nowadays, though, everyone is omniscient with this kind of uh, device that's in fact a virtual extension of our intelligence. So we kind of know where everyone is all the time. And I think that omniscience means that nothing is left to um, chance anymore. It's, you know, you can't really, it makes it like, it's a paradox, but it's almost more difficult to meet people in a genuine, straightforward way in nowadays world. I didn't grow up with technology, okay? I got I had my first cell phone, I believe when I was 35. I refreshed some of my courses. Uh, I was taking a studio art course at um, the University of Guelph, and the I was blown away by the younger generation didn't interact before class. They were all on their phones. Nobody said hi what to do and nobody chilled no but in contrast when I uh, went to university it was very social 
the before class and after class. Uh, I'm not criticizing that. What I'm saying, it, it really kind of it almost depressed me that people have used it or have learned through the use of it to relate closer to their iPhone than to the person that's standing in front of them. It was very, it was very eye-opening and depressing for me. Uh, it was, uh, anyways. I, I get what you mean. Like I was, uh, uh, yeah, uh, it's not that I think that, yeah, social media and like internet is, is, um, is very negative or anything. It's just, it's, it's, yeah, it's just a totally different way of communicating and, uh, I really had a hard time adapting to it, uh, especially because I was out of every, any, you know, social media for a long time. Like I, I only started Facebook, like, I believe like it was maybe five years ago or something. And it was like after, well, like pretty much everyone else. And, and yeah. And, but it, it also has like good sides to it. Like an example that I would have is, is like, Back then, when you were moving out of a city or something, or moving to another place, well, you pretty much lost all of your connections. Sort of like you were still friends, but it was a lot harder to, you know, you know stay connected with them. But nowadays, like it's 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 a lot simpler. Like for example, like as to this band, for example, like yeah, we we managed to. Um, you know, create songs even remotely, and that is a lot of like that has a huge benefit. You know. And I don't think it would have been able, it would have been possible uh, before, because yeah, you would have needed you know a rehearsal space and, and all that. If after people being locked down or restricted in their uh, connections with people during COVID, uh, you might see a change in the way people deal with that, and they'll be connecting more like they did traditionally versus having their phones. Oh, I believe so. I so let's pray. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the Lord always works in wondrous ways. So before we go, uh, Victor and Adrian, can you tell us where to find your music? Uh, on every major streaming platform, really. Uh, as I mean, because as we've mentioned, uh, the YouTube channel is quite important for us. So Classic Poetry is the name of the channel. Um, because we, we, we're probably going to be doing this uh, whole exercise again, putting out a song every two weeks. So. Awesome. Yeah. Definitely be watching that. So thank you, Victor and Adrian, um, Plastic Poetry, for joining our pod today. Today was really rad. I loved it. Um, take a listen to the releases, listeners. Um, and as Victor pointed out, uh, to follow them on YouTube because they're going to be releasing more videos and songs. Thank you very much for having us, Ray. Thank you. Appreciate it. It was fun, guys. Well, thank you all for tuning in to the Buzzer Podcast Network. Season two begins soon. The Buzzer Podcast will wind down season one of both programs. The top episodes of season one will start airing September the 6th. These are the season one shows with leading fan engagement, subscribes, and download count. The gratitude I have for the remarkable artists who share their music on the Buzzer Network is over the moon. 
to our loyal listeners. Thank you for tuning in and being a powerful part of our achievement. Because of you, the Buzzer Podcast is top 10% of the most popular shows out of over 2.6 million podcasts right by Listen Score. Follow us on Instagram at The Media and on Twitter at The Buzzer Indie. Subscribe, please, at thebuzzerpod.com. Without you, none of what we do is possible. Listen in and remember, without music, our campus is blank. On Air Indie, from iPad to yours, over the airways. Until next time, cheers, y'all.